Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control of your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Inman, and welcome back to the show. I fired the other guy, so this show will actually be entertaining to listen to now. You're welcome. I'm excited to bring you a new guest for the special premiere of Top 10 Financial Insights People Have Told Me That I Wish Were April Fool's Jokes. I mean, come on. That sounds like we're going to have a lot of fun, doesn't it? Our expert for the show is a guy who, well, isn't that well known at all. He's not a huge fan of the show and probably isn't even a regular listener. He's definitely the show's biggest critic, though. I mean, I happen to think he's all right, but depending on who you ask, they might tell you he's a little over the top. So without much more delay, let's get on with the show, shall we? Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining me on the Financial Residency Podcast. My uh, original guest canceled on me last minute, and I heard you were free, so thanks for taking your time to come chat with me. Yeah, apparently you fired me, and then I'm back this quick, so I'm out of retirement quick, I guess. That's well, cool. just for a one-time show. Ah, got it. Okay. Well, I guess this won't be that much fun than knowing I'm going to be fired right after this. Yes. So today, we're going to talk about the top 10 financial insights people have told me that I wish were April Fool's jokes. Oh, that they told you. Okay. Let's yes. do it. What do you got for me? Uh, starting with number 10. You have or will have a high income as a physician, so you don't need to track your spending. Ah, the old one of like, I can just outspend everything because I've just got so much income. Yeah, it's a fun one. So planning starts with cash flow in mind, like what's coming in and what's going out. And if you don't have a plan involved, then how are you ever going to know if you hit your goals or if you're achieving them? Or, you know, if you do have some goals, uh, which hopefully all of you do, or at least thinking of them, you know, what would you end up doing if you spent a little too much for many years in a row and realized that, hmm, I can't retire at 50 or 55 or 60 and you will be getting wheeled around during rounds because you are 80 and can't afford to retire. So while you might have a high income, the way I look at this is you still need to track your spending just to get some clue as to what you're spending. And that would mean what you're spending in retirement. So you know how much you actually need to save in your investments. That sounds pretty boring. Yeah, I got I got nothing for that one. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm basically telling people you got a budget. Like everyone hates the B word, so you're thanks. You're busting it out in the first few minutes of your interview. So I'm that's why I fired you. Pretty sure you set me up for this one. Like I got an idea. I'm going to bring you on a fun show and then I'm going to make you talk about budgeting right, right off the bat. Yeah, and there win all the listeners of your new show. Congratulations. All right, we're moving down to number nine. The next financial insight people have told me that I wish was an April Fool's joke. Not having any estate planning documents, but having three kids. Okay, really? You start with budgeting and then you move into estate planning? Anyone who reaches out to us, I think we've got, what, 80 clients or so right now? And I'm going to say like 78 of them never have done estate planning. So now we're going to start from budgeting to estate planning. Got it. You really want this show to do well. 
Yeah, estate planning, the, all that stuff, the wills, power of attorneys, healthcare directors, like it's honestly, it's not for you. It's for your kids. You don't want things to go through probate. You don't want, I mean, think about what our parents would do if we said, oh, one parent is is in charge of the kids and one is in charge of the money. That's maybe what we have set up. I don't know. If our parents are listening, we're definitely not saying it. But if we didn't have that, do you think it would be an argument between uh, probably our moms? Yeah, see, that's why I married this financial guy so he could figure out all that stuff for me and I didn't have to deal with it. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. So, yeah, it's not for you. It's for your kids. Go get it done. Like, it's, yeah, it's expensive and that's a bummer. Legal Zoom is not the answer. Like, go get it done through an estate planning attorney that's local to you. It can't be across the nation, unfortunately. That's one of those you need to need to choose local. Go get it done. And it doesn't take that long once it's all set up. So get it done. Oh, that sounds like she wasn't even complaining. I made her go to the estate planning attorney on a nice day because that's what happened. All right. Number eight, diversification across banks or holding too much cash in your bank. That is an April Fool's joke I wish someone would have told me. Do you even know what that is? No, no clue. (laughs) I love it. So diversification across banks. So when someone's thinking like, I am diversified because I'm in Ally and I'm in Capital One and I have some Chase and I have some Wells Fargo, like if a bank goes down, I'm totally fine. That's not what diversification means. Don't be holding a ton of cash in a bank more than the FDIC limit. First, you should be putting your money and having that money work for you. But diversification is usually in respect to your investments being diversified, not owning one stock like, let's say, Apple, but owning something like the total stock market that's 3,600 different stocks that are listed on our exchanges. Diversification is not, oh, I'm diversified because I have four different banks. But let's say you do own all Apple and Apple comes out with the iPhone 24 and it just hits the shelves and their stock goes crazy. Then you could become a millionaire. Maybe. Or let's say that Apple has been committing fraud and doesn't have the cash on hand that it has and that it has been leveraging itself or any number of things that could have happened. And then you lose 80 or 90 percent of the value. We think of like Enron. People were elated with Enron and how well they were doing. They're the ones that were pushing out all the blackouts. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, they committed a whole bunch of fraud. The employees couldn't get anything out that they've been putting all their investments into from their retirement standpoint. And you no longer have a job or any of your retirement. So let's diversify so we're not rounding in wheelchairs. Like it. Number seven. Having a one-year contract for a new attending position and going out and buying a million-dollar home. Oh, my gosh. I, I This like makes me want to cry when I hear this. If you've got a one-year contract, first, most physicians, they don't stick in their first attending job. I don't know the exact percentage, but I know it's pretty high that you end up switching jobs within a few years. But if you have a one-year contract and then you go buy a seven-figure home... Oh my gosh, that is like really scary to me because what if it falls through or more likely like what if the job sucks or you don't like the people you work with? And I think this kind of goes hand in hand with like, oh, well, the home is an investment. No, your home, your primary residence really isn't an investment. Yes, you have assets and the equity in the home considered an asset, but really it's a liability. It costs money every month, not just your mortgage. Think about our house, Tay. How much does our house cost us every month? I mean, especially when you're not renovating or anything, but like there's everything. Things break all the time. 
I have no idea how much it costs every month. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice one. She's over here smiling like, oh, I have no idea what I keep making you buy. Yeah. So no million dollar homes. If you have a one year contract, what about the $990,000 homes? Yeah. Nice try. Nice try again. No, nice try again. So what are people supposed to do? Not buy a million dollar home. Okay. At all. You don't need to buy your dream home in your first job with a one year contract. I hate to be blunt in the bear of bad news, but get a nice starter home in a decent area that we're looking at Southern California. So like that might be five or $600,000 here. But if you're, let's say, I don't know, in Houston, you could get a nice home for a couple hundred thousand bucks. You don't need a 6,000 square foot mansion as your first home. It's just, it's the truth. All right. Moving on to number six. You were setting me up so much for failure at this point. Number six, not paying attention to utility bills, not canceling subscriptions or memberships or price shopping for cheaper fixed expenses like auto coverage. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. So like when we moved the Geico thing, that's even something that we're guilty for. Like, you know, not, not shopping around like banks, insurance companies, they don't have any loyalty. In fact, insurance companies charge you more money the longer you've been in. Like the audacity of, oh, you haven't had an accident in 15 years and you've paid on time. Every time that we've sent you a bill, oh, guess what? Your your rates just went up 8%. It's ridiculous. So they encourage basically you to go out and price shop. They're banking that we're all lazy and, you know, guilty as charged, you know, that we're lazy. We're not going to go price shop them. So every couple of years, go price them. And not to sound like the damn Geico commercial, but like we saved 55% moving when we moved from Vegas back to San Diego by switching to Geico for our cars, and our home insurance, and our umbrella policy. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, you're so lying. The the host lies. So shop around for your insurance and, I mean, utility bills. Like, if you're running the air conditioner but not at home, that's such a waste. And then subscription stuff you don't use, gem memberships that you're not actually using, you intend on using, just cancel it. Save the money for something else. Put it in your retirement so you can have it later. Whoa, you sound like a financial pro now. Moving on, number five, owning cash flow negative real estate investments. Uh, okay, one, I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious if you know what we're talking about here. Uh, means you buy a real estate investment, but you lose money on it every month. Yes. It's rubbing off on her, everyone. She's listening. She's getting it. I'm so happy. Yeah. When you buy an investment, the last thing you want your investment to do is to lose money. And we can't control whether our stocks or our bonds lose money. But when you're buying real estate for an investment, the worst thing you can do is go buy a negative cash flow real estate investment. That makes zero sense. Banking on inflation. Uh, you know, I think part of the reason why we ended up getting into the, the mortgage mess in 2007 and eight, um, one was the bank's fault, but two people were greedy and it didn't matter if their investment cash flowed or not. And when you look at it, money in real estate is made on the purchase, not on the sale. So make sure that you are actually earning money on every door that you're buying and that you're not negative cash flowing. And there's different ways to own real estate. And recently we've been more of a fan of multifamily investing and we're definitely going to have some shows coming out on, on investing in multifamilies and investing in real estate in general, because 
we've bought and sold lots of houses and tell you what, even if it does cash flow, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I'm not doing any of the work, but I know that it takes a lot of time and I don't like it. And that's a big reason we've been switching over to the multifamily investments because it's much less work for this guy that I know that does all of our financial planning for us. So she doesn't like the amount of work, but admits that she doesn't do the work. I love it. Okay. You're a great host. You're you're perfect for this. Hey, you're on my show here. I know. I'm just giving the host compliments. All right. Number four, using credit cards while you're in credit card debt. <laughs> okay. Using a credit card while you're in credit card debt. So it's it's likely the people that are are saying, hey, I'm going to go and I get points by using my credit card, but then forgetting that like while you still are in credit card debt, essentially every new purchase that you're making has the interest rate of the credit card essentially tacked on. Because if you're not going to be able to pay it in full, then you're essentially adding cost to that by to that purchase by just the interest rate. Most cards are 20% plus. That adds up fast. If you're in credit card debt, which is okay if you are a resident and you're interviewing at different places and you don't have a ton of money. That's normal coming out with 10, maybe 15K of, of credit card. Don't come out with 40 or 50 or 60. That's just you blowing money. But 10 or 15 like isn't the worst spot in the world because you're usually not getting into that from a, a spending habit problem. But if you have credit card debt, like stop using your credit card. Spend the money that you have. If you can't pay for it in full, don't buy it. It's kind of simple. It, I mean, it's human emotion, right? You you want to buy things, you like things. But if you don't have that excuse of like, hey, I'm like traveling around trying to get a job and I just need to pay for airfare, you know, stop spending money on your credit card. So you're saying you should stop trying to get the points for free plane tickets to go to Hawaii. You should just buy the tickets with your credit card? Or not go to Hawaii because you're in credit card debt. I like how you're trying to make it so they can still go. That's cute. No, don't go to Hawaii and spend six or seven or eight grand or whatever that, you know, that trip costs because you're in credit card debt. Take care of the credit card debt. Because if you're not, if you don't take care of your credit card debt, you're likely not saving anything for retirement. And that's also a big no-no. See, this is why we fired you. You're just the bearer of bad news all the time. Yeah. This is 10, 10 reasons why Ryan got fired from his own show. Number three, saving for kids college when they haven't maxed out their own retirement accounts. Okay. So saving f for the kids college, and I, I get it. We definitely save for our kids and, you know, we want them to come out of school without any debt. That'd be ideal. I don't, know if we're going to be able to afford that, honestly. But when you look at this scenario, it's like the airplane scenario. It's like you're going to put on your mask before you put on your kids. If you don't save for your own retirement, then you're essentially pushing all of that responsibility on your kids to take care of you because you took care of their education. I sometimes culturally, this is what happens, but I, I think it's a huge mistake if you are not saving for your retirement, you're not maximizing those tax deferred accounts. I, I think you really need to be doing that. And it'd be nice to put something away for the kids, but they can put debt on their school. You can't put debt on your retirement. Very good point there. Yes. I'll take that one. You can have that one for the win. That's seven to one on this top 10. Super. Number two, having a 500 thousand plus in student debt and then buying a Tesla. 
Okay, this is fun. Had a meeting with a client the other day and he's like, you know, you you really bash on me a lot. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, I have a Tesla and you bash on me. And it's like, maybe part of it's because I'm jealous because I, I love the Tesla and I'd love to own one, but even though it doesn't make any sense. I think it's all because you're jealous and you want to own a Tesla. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the reason. But in this case, if you have half a million of student debt, we're not talking mortgage. We're not talking personal debt. Like you have half a million in student debt and you think it's a good idea to go buy a Tesla. There's a lot of things wrong with that. Getting all the toys before you even start your real job or or in your first few years when you haven't taken care of your debt and at least put together a plan to take care of your debt is a huge issue. And this comes back to lifestyle creep. And I think lifestyle creep, it actually could be the number one mistake that we see because it usually leads to just horrible money behaviors. But I still think this next one, because I'm reading ahead on your list, is the worst that I've at least heard. Okay, stop looking at my notes. Sorry. And uh, I'll play devil's advocate here. Tesla, I mean, it's environmentally friendly, no costs on gas. Isn't that kind of a good financial move maybe? Okay. So it's going to cost something, electricity. Yes, it's cheaper. And I know people are probably going to bash me because I don't know a lot about cars, honestly. But I'm going to have to say, no, <laughs> you're probably wrong. And isn't the battery like really bad for the environment? We're not talking environment here. We're talking finances. Oh, whatever. So uh, you have it, listeners. Everyone go out and buy a Kia. Yeah. Wait, what? Kia. All right. Number one. Insurance is an investment. Oh, whole life is for the broke life, people. Insurance is not an investment. Insurance is insurance. Investments are investments. Never mix the two. I can tell you insurance is a uh, it's a product meant to be sold, obviously, and it is sold a lot to physicians. It's really sad. But I mean, tell you know this, like you never had any financial classes in, in, in all of the education that you had. And sadly, insurance people know this. You guys have giant targets on your back and it's really, really unfortunate. But honestly, anyone listening to this right now, it is super likely, and I'm saying like 99% plus, that you will likely never need whole life insurance. It is meant for a very, very small set of the population. And it is very unlikely that any physician listening to this show will likely ever need it. I'm not saying that is exactly every single person, but I'm saying statistically, it is very unlikely. Uh, term for the win. You need term insurance. You definitely need disability insurance. Those are not investments. Those are protections uh, over your income. Those are definitely not investments that you need to be putting tons of money away into. You need to be maxing out all your retirement accounts, probably starting a taxable account. You maybe even save for your kids, but you are likely never going to need to put money into a whole life product ever. Thank you, Ryan, for all of those boring and practical tips for us here on my premiere show uh, financial residency podcast. Thanks wow. for joining us last minute on the show as well. Yeah. Someone canceled. And I get invited. Oh, I guess. I mean, Hey, at least I got the call, right? Well, you're welcome. Uh, so Ryan, tell me where can people hear more about you and, uh, what you do? 
Well, I would say that people could hear more about me on the Financial Residency Podcast that I host um, or formerly hosted. Uh, so if you want to go back and listen to the previous like 70 episodes that I was hosting till I was fired, you can do that. But also we have a new podcast that came out last, uh, like in February of 2019 called the Physician Finance Minute. It is one minute tips. I think everyone has a minute to listen to something informational, apparently boring, but informational uh, that will help you take control over your finances and feel more confident in those. And then also I fee only financial planner that works with physicians all over the country at Physician Wealth Services. So if anyone out there would like to talk to a fee only planner, feel free to reach out. Well, thanks to Ryan for being on the show. Thanks for having me back on the show. <laughs> In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site Millionaire Doc titled Roadmap to One Million, Getting to Zero. In it, the author discusses how to begin building wealth. I quote, the road to wealth has to start somewhere. What I really like about this article is the author draws on his own experience of starting with nothing. He goes on to say that he started his journey to wealth with a substantial negative net worth due to his student loans. That's a predicament that the vast majority of my listeners can relate to. I also like that he breaks the journey into stages. He suggests that you have to have a plan and that you have to get your spouse on board. He also points out that the years after residency are super important to getting a jumpstart on financial independence. He and I are in total agreements on these important parts. And I've discussed not comparing yourself with the Joneses in the past. After all, you have no idea what their bank account actually looks like. Another bit of advice Millionaire Doc gives is to continue to live the resident lifestyle. I differ in this slightly. In my experience, I see giving yourself a raise can be beneficial after the hard work of residency. Just don't go for the Tesla, just yet. Millionaire Doc, great article. I'll make sure this gets linked in the show notes. This is no April Fool's joke. The Financial Residency Podcast will start having two shows a week with the additional shows focused on the financial health assessment that all of you in the community have been filling out. Look for the shows to launch on Fridays. We've had so much great feedback and dozens of you have submitted your assessment via the link financialresidency.com slash form. We want to encourage more of you to get involved, submit them to the show and get a free plan done on air. So go to financialresidency.com slash form to join in on the fun. This podcast is like a marriage. You get out what you put in. So if you show up and put in the time to learn about the financial topics most affecting you, you're more than likely growing your financial savviness. But here's the thing. What you hear in the show is be taken with a generic stride. It's a blanket adaptation of different financial topics affecting physician families. We can't guarantee any specific advice because we don't know who you are and what financial challenges you're facing. I'd recommend consulting an attorney, CPA, or reach out to Ryan, a fee-only financial planner, to help you with your questions. Next week, we have a great show planned with special guest of the host, Dr. Money Matters. This will be one that you don't want to miss. Have a great week. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.